Hello, and welcome to the Para Aqua podcast, the science podcast that shines a light on the newest and most interesting research being conducted in the fields of aquatic and marine ecology. My name is Joe Money. I'm a PhD student and the host of this podcast. Today, I will be interviewing Daniel Pfeiffer, a PhD student at Adam Miskiewicz University in Poland. We'll be discussing his research on branchia pods and the ecosystem services provided by small ponds and wetlands. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, not, not too bad. Really nice to have you on. Um, what the listeners probably don't know is that me and Daniel actually are in the same department at Adam Miskiewicz University in Poznan. So we see each other quite often and uh, he's told me a lot about his work and it sounded really interesting. So I thought I'd invite him on the show. And uh, yeah, thanks, Daniel, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, it's really uh, cool because uh, basically we both work on branchiopods because uh, cladocerans are also branchiopods, but not large branchiopods, but I think we'll talk about it later. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah, my research is to do with um, Daphnia. I, I often refer to them as um, cladoceran crustaceans to explain to people, but you're, you're right. You're completely right that we actually work in very similar areas. Yeah, so uh, Daniel, can you give us a quick summary of your education and research backgrounds just to fill the listeners in a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, as you said, I am currently a PhD student at the uh, Department of, of General Zoology, uh, the same as you, and uh, uh, and I am working uh, on aquatic biology right now. But uh, previously, I've done my uh, my both bachelor degree and master degree uh, on, on the study course uh, on environmental protection. Uh, but my bachelor thesis uh, was about uh, entire about morphology of pupal stages of uh, uh, cecidemoths, uh, and my uh, master thesis was done on the uh, zoogeography of uh, arctinemoths of uh, National uh, Gorongosa Park uh, of Mozambique. So it is quite different topics that uh, I am doing right now because you know it was uh, entirely terrestrial biology. But I was sitting um, in the topic of uh, invertebrates like um, most of the uh, time. So uh, you know, uh, right now I'm trying to something else but I'm really excited about it yeah that's quite a, a turn really uh, from so much work on moths to suddenly working on aquatic uh, invertebrates like like you're working on now um, but I think that's honestly very common for scientists and biologists in particular sort of bouncing around study subjects you know but still maintaining the same interest in ecology environmental protection zoology stuff like that uh, I, I would also like to mention that I was working for several years uh, in the sericulture, uh, cer uh, but not, you know, like industry, uh, but uh, entirely like in the uh, scientific uh, institute that uh, had the department of uh, silkworm uh, breeding and mulberry cultivation. Uh, and uh, I was like a part of the uh, project uh, that was uh, maintaining the uh, wide uh, variety of uh, silkworm strains from uh, all over the world and uh, yeah uh, but it was like a, you know most uh, part of scientific work part of technical work yeah and uh, uh, from that I uh, like uh, transferred uh, entirely to the PhD program I am working right now. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of scientists also take that path, don't they? They sort of uh, work as technicians and develop the sort of key lab skills and then apply it in a PhD quite often, as, as you've done. Um, so what actually brought you to Poznan? Are you, are you from Poznan originally? I, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't actually know that about you. <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, like entirely from Poznan. I uh, born in Gniezno. Uh, uh, Gniezno is uh, known in Poland most uh, as it was uh, the first capital uh, of Poland. Uh, but it was, you know, like hundreds of years ago. Uh, and uh, I was living uh, in there like for... I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years. Uh, then I uh, moved uh, moved out to the little village uh, Mienko uh, near Pobiedziska uh, village. And uh, it was also like a cool thing because uh, uh, it was like very close to nature. Uh, environment uh, very close to also protected uh, uh, area, uh, for example, uh, Puszcza Zielonka, uh, Rezerwat Przyrody Jezioro Dębinies. <laughs> Sorry for Polish. No, that's okay. okay. Just um, what sort of natural reserves are these sort of wetlands or? Yes, yeah. So the reservoir uh, of uh, natural reservoir, uh, Lake Jezioro Dębinies, is like a reservoir made uh, uh, because of the unique uh, plants uh, that were growing around uh, uh, the Lake Dębinies. And yeah, uh, after, I don't know, maybe 10 years, uh, I moved to, uh, to Poznań, mainly because uh, I am well, I started studying uh, environment, environment protection here. So, yeah, it was quite a, a lot of moving. Uh, even in Gniezno, uh, I was always moving, so I am used to that. But, yeah, now I'm in Poznań. Yeah, as is the life of a PhD student quite often, isn't it? Moving around a lot. Uh, well, it sounds like you've already answered my uh, next question already, but is there anything that made you shift from studying Lepidoptera, moths and uh, butterflies uh, into now the freshwater ecology uh, that you study at the moment and branchiopods? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you've lived near some amazing wetlands. Uh, was that key in your transfer uh, when you started studying your PhD? Uh, you know, uh... Lepidopterans and general insects uh, was the first part, part uh, that really caught me and caught my interest into the uh, field of uh, biology. Uh, and uh, I always knew that the other most interesting uh, group of animals for me were crustaceans. And I always knew that uh, I want to uh, do uh, some research, uh, maybe on insects, maybe on crustaceans. Uh, but you know, uh, it is funny thing to say because uh, those group uh, groups are very uh, diverse and uh, very abundant with uh, species. Uh, but uh, uh, after uh, several years working uh, with leopardoptherans, I got a little bit used of it. Uh, and uh, when I uh, when I saw a possibility uh, in doing uh, a PhD in uh, applying to a project was uh, what which was mainly focused on uh, aquatic crustaceans, which are branchiopods, of course. It was you know I was <laughs> I wouldn't hesitate. Uh, for me, it was like uh, a new opportunity to try something new that I uh, was really uh, appeal of, but uh, not really uh, had a, 
I didn't have many, uh, a lot of experience with it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's a, a thing, isn't it, that you end up, uh, you know, trying out new things all the time in, in science. And that's one of the reasons I really like it. I, I, I can't speak for you, but um, that's that's a very interesting journey that you've had from uh, from moths to branchiopods. So actually, another question that I was going to ask, just to clarify for some of our listeners, but can you explain what large branchiopods are and what your current research aims to learn about them? I mean, me and you, obviously, we, we, we have a, a, bit, a bit of knowledge in this area, but just for people who aren't familiar what a branchiopod is, could you describe them? Okay, so large branchiopods uh, are crustaceans which are almost completely exclusive and associated with temporary aquatic ecosystems. They are uh, considered as uh, living fossils because uh, they exist for several millions of years and haven't changed much uh, in comparisons to uh, their fossilized uh, ancestors. Uh, the term uh, large is quite relative, but it somewhat uh, differs them from cladocerans, which are branchiopods, as we talk about, uh, and uh, besides being uh, in most cases smaller than other branchiopods, their biology is also different. They uh, often inhabit uh, permanent uh, water uh, bodies, uh, which uh, uh, with large branchiopods almost uh, never occurs. Uh, as large branchiopods exist in temporary aquatic ecosystems, they must in some way survive the period of drought, and they do it by laying uh, cysts. And uh, cysts are dormant uh, eggs, which lies uh, in the sediment of dried uh, ponds. And during the next filling with water, which can occur during the rainfall, the snow melting or even elevating the level of ground water, then larval form of branchiopod uh, emerges. That, yeah, that's very cool. Can you give us some a little bit of context about like how, like you mentioned that large is a very relative term here, but what sort of uh, sizes are we talking about? And also, um, how, do, how could you describe uh, temporary freshwater ecosystems to people who might not be familiar with quite what that means? Yeah, the temporary water uh, ecosystems is simply ecosystems that uh, tend to dry out seasonally. Uh, and uh, we can differ many uh, type of temporary ponds from puddles, uh, uh, even to larger ponds that uh, dry during, uh, for example, even two or three months uh, in summer. Uh, and uh, uh, considering your question about the size of the uh, large branchiopods, they can even uh, grow to uh, like more than 10 centimeters uh, when we are talking about notostracans. Uh, so they, are, uh, uh, they can be really big. Uh, this is the maybe one reason that, uh, well, uh, that they are called uh, tadpole shrimps. The one thing is that they resemble a little bit uh, a tadpole. And the other thing that they quite, uh, can grow quite uh, large. Uh, and uh, comparing to the cladocerans, where you know they uh, like the biggest ones, maybe several millimeters, or maybe uh, I am wrong. Some are very long, like Leptodora kindi or uh, other. They have very elongated bodies, but uh, maybe when we are talking at the general size, uh, uh, the branchiopods can be quite big uh, animals. 
Oh, and uh, my main research aim is to assess the low, low role of large branchiopods in their ecosystems, uh, as well as ecosystem services that they provide, which can expand out of their habitat. Large branchiopods are considered a keystone species of uh, temporary ponds or the architects of their ecosystems. Uh, this means that they play the key role in transforming the ecosystem in which they exist, having impact on many of its aspects from properties of water through abundance of uh, algae and cyanobacteria up to species compositions of other invertebrates. Uh, for example, notostracans, uh, are apex predators and detritus eaters, uh, anus trachans are super filtrators, and clam shrimps uh, are scrapers and filtrators. And uh, uh, those uh, names uh, I mentioned are all the, uh, uh, all the main orders of uh, uh, branchiopods. So basically what you're saying is that the branchiopods play a really key role in sort of keeping these ecosystems diverse and keeping them healthy for a lack of a scientific term. Yes, exactly. And uh, uh, this is the main reason why the uh, Biodiversa Respond project, which I am a part of as a PhD student, uh, was made. Uh, this project, uh, its main goal is to assess the importance of temporary ponds as well as branchiopods as keystones organs of this ecosystem. And it is led by research teams from four different countries, Poland, Belgium, Spain and Morocco. The project has many activities and experiments, but uh, probably the biggest and most complex, I think, is uh, joint mesocosm experiment. Uh, it is called joint because it is conducted separately in each country uh, and the main uh, philosophy is to set uh, in the open area artificial ecosystems called mesocosm in which we put our large branchiopods and observe how they are changing uh, this mesocosm. It includes many measurements such as water quality changes, phyto and zooplankton community changes, uh, periphyton growth and many others. Uh, Polish team members, which uh, I was uh, part, uh, visited Spanish team this year in February to help uh, them with their experiment. We also conducted our part this year in June. Uh, it is uh, interesting because it took like several months of preparation with only three weeks of actual uh, experiment uh, working. So yeah, it was quite of a uh, lo lo logistic uh, challenge for us. It sounds really good though uh having such a wide-ranging international project and uh yeah it sounds like you, uh you're gonna learn a lot from these mesocosms um uh, do you have any like uh preliminary results that you can talk about like how did these uh branchiopods end up shaping these mesocosms Yes, yes, we have uh, many preliminary uh, res uh, uh, results uh, and uh, a lot of uh, that data uh, we can uh, uh, work on. Uh, and uh, the fact is, and it is uh, uh, very uh, 
positive uh, for us that we see uh, the influence of branchiopods of these uh, ecosystems. Uh, they uh, change them uh, there a lot, and uh, some uh, in some ways that uh, we uh, expected, uh, but uh, in some way that we uh, couldn't predict. Uh, for example, uh, we knew that uh, notus trinkens uh, as a detritus eater will probably uh, higher the level of turbidity uh, in the uh, ecosystems. So one thing we uh, uh, didn't expect that the notus tracons will uh, reduce uh, the abundance of uh, filamentous uh, algae uh, in our uh, mesocosm. Nice. So uh, all of the different orders, I guess, play a different role in uh, sort of stimulating the ecosystems. Is, is that accurate? Yes, 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 uh, exactly, exactly. So me and Daniel share a department at our university, and I often uh, walk into our uh, our communal lab and see him working on these uh, these um, aquariums sort of filled with sediment, and also what's inside that has uh, really, interest, really interested me is these little fairy shrimps, and they are really... Uh, interesting to look at i think they swim upside down is that right and they have this really interesting sort of fluorescent um sort of wavy uh way of swimming and they look like something straight out of the uh you know the jurassic era or something like that so uh, that's definitely one one part of your research that has really piqued my interest um can you tell us a bit more about these fairy shrimps Yes, uh, fairy shrimps are uh, really uh, interesting. Is uh, you know one uh, like the most known by uh, uh, ordinary people that uh, ordinary you know like uh, people who don't know anything about branchiopods, uh, they probably uh, seen or heard about uh, fairy shrimp because uh, there fairy shrimp are often uh, breed as a feed for fish. Uh, and uh, Artemia salina is uh, one of the examples of species uh, uh, that uh, is used for it. Uh, but uh, talking generally about uh, fairy shrimps, uh, there are as old group as the other. And as you said, it's uh, true that they uh, swim like upside down with their uh, legs uh, on the up. And uh, they have, um, uh, some species have even a fluorescent exax uh, that uh, shines. And it wow. is, uh, yes, and it is uh, a way to uh, show uh, the male uh, where the female is, because uh, uh, obviously the exact uh, female has an exact, uh, and sometimes uh, in very turbid water, uh, it is very hard for the male to see anything, uh, and the exact uh, is uh, uh, like the uh, part uh, it can only uh, see. And uh, yeah, uh, as the uh, all uh, large branchiopods, uh, fairy shrimps uh, also. Uh, survive uh, periods of droughts uh, into in the uh, dormant uh, states uh, and uh, they're like uh, kind of an interesting uh, part of uh, branchiopods because uh, uh, as i said there are super filtrators uh, they're filtrating uh, uh, algae and bacteria uh, other uh, organisms and even that organic matter from the uh, water so uh, they can affect uh, really the quality uh, of uh, water uh, that they live in.
Yeah. Yeah, and they're definitely worth Googling or something like that because they do look really, yes, yes, really yes, charismatic uh... and really interesting to look at. But that actually leads perfectly onto my next question, which was going to be, uh, well, what ecosystem services do these small temporary ponds uh, provide in the wider context of the environment and uh, also the effects of uh, these particular branchiopods? Yeah, um, you know, uh, the first and foremost, I think, uh, uh, service that provides temporary ponds uh, is that they are the, the cradles of biodiversity. A big chunk of invertebrate fauna, especially insects, uh, has at least some part of the development stage dependent on the temporary ponds and wetlands. Uh, this applies to some vertebrates, uh, also such as amphibians, which uh, some species breed, lay eggs, and develop in temporary waters. Uh, absence of fish in these types of ecosystems enables uh, many other species of animals, as well as plants, as plants to develop and thrive. Uh, these ecosystems are also an important source, source of nutrients to organisms living outside of them, such as birds, which are often dependent on temporary flooding plains. Um, the existence of uh, temporary uh, waters also play important role for people helping to, helping to maintain optimal levels uh, of ground water. Uh, and even preventing floods of household, households and infrastructure. Uh, they are one of the most important aspects of holding water in forests, preventing trees from drying from the lack of water. So the another uh, ecosystem services uh, that uh, temporary ponds uh, can give is gathering pollution. Uh, it is not good. Uh, for the uh, pond that is uh, very diverse, uh, but it's an opportunity of uh, making uh, artificial uh, ponds, for example, gathering uh, uh, pollutions uh, from uh, the agricultural regions or from the, um, and from the uh, road infrastructure. And the temporary ponds uh, also holds a lot of carbon, which uh, uh, helps the climate change problem. Wow, okay, I didn't know... Uh hardly any of that actually um i didn't know that they had such wide-ranging uh effects on the ecosystem i think often temporary ponds and wetlands often get a bit of a negative uh sort of press um in the public because of biting insects and mosquitoes living there but you you're completely right that that is like a diversity hotspot yeah. as well yeah you know it's very unfortunate that the public opinion about the temporary ponds is like it is only a problem or the obstacle in development um, and uh, when something needed to be changed in an environment or built on uh, the um, pond is not uh, like something uh, which uh, someone should care of uh, it's uh, often ends up buried uh, or uh, or you know completely wiped out of the landscape because uh, it hinders the development okay so daniel final question uh where do you hope this research will take you and do you have any upcoming projects that you're excited about maybe a little bit different to the branchia pods or in a similar area yeah, uh, I think that uh, in uh, at least near future, I will be focused uh, mainly on branchiopods, 
and my future research plans is to do a lot of experiments uh, about ecological relationships between branchiopods and uh, other invertebrate groups that inhabits temporary ponds, especially insects like aquatic beetles, dragonfly larvae, mayfly larvae. Uh, their relationships uh, can uh, white uh, uh, can be white from basic uh, basing uh, concurrence to predation behaviors. Uh, the other thing that I would want to research is what factors make the branchiopods eggs to hatch, because uh, water, surprisingly, is not only factor that determines uh, that the old cyst uh, bank in the temporary ponds uh, can hatch. And uh, as far as we know, the, there can be a lot of different factors uh, that uh, can influence uh, this event. Nice. That sounds really cool. And especially the stuff about uh, the interaction of insect lava with the temporary uh, freshwater ecosystem. That sounds really up my street. So maybe we'll have to collaborate on that because I'd really love to do some work on that, particularly around like mosquitoes and biting flies. I find that stuff very interesting. So Yes, yes, I, exactly. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, well, keep me in the loop. And uh, yeah, okay, so I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for coming on, Daniel. Uh, thanks for taking some time to uh, talk about your research. And I've really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Para Aqua podcast was funded by COST, the European Cooperation in Science and Technology, and is a product of the Para Aqua Action Group. If you are interested in joining an action group or just want to know more, please go to www.paraaqua-cost.eu or follow the link in the episode description. The podcast is produced by myself and Serena Rasconi, and the science communication coordinator is Anna Gavrilovich. Once again, thanks for listening and see you next time on the Para Aqua podcast.